0: They say love is patient, they say love
1: is kind. Marriage, on the other hand, takes those things plus wine. Spousing is a journey, not for the faint of heart. Being
0: married to a human is a science and an art.
1: Hi, Lauren. Hey, Katie. How's it going? Do you think we should practice our hi, Laurens, and hey, Katie's?
0: Mm, you know i don't know i i don't feel like i want to because i feel like i'm gonna get in my head about it but i do yeah. notice that we always start with hi lauren hey katie how's it going that's yeah, our like true. That's, and it, we that's, don't plan it that wasn't planned that's just how
1: it is right and like what if i want to change it up and do a little like bonjour like a little how's sup you know
0: mm, i like i really like comfort and consistency that's my preference
1: Okay, well, I'm glad this, we've addressed
0: it. In this marriage, in this podcast
1: marriage, that's what I like. Yeah, we, we do have a <laughs> podcast marriage. <laughs> what are you drinking? I am drinking a Smart Mouth, which is our one of our local breweries. Virginia Beach does not have soil for good wine, but we do have good beer here. So Smart Mouth is a brewery that's in Norfolk. And they actually had a um, the, the Lucky Charms beer, if people heard about that on Jimmy uh-huh, Fallon. We, yeah. got, like, we got a little mention on Jimmy Fallon. Um, so we went there this weekend to try that out. But it's oh, called wait. Game On.
0: You better have your drink ready because my dog <laughs> looks really ready to start barking.
1: Oh, my dr- My drink is ready. Also, okay. I just knocked something off of the counter, so I feel like I get to drink for that, too.
0: Okay, good. I'm going to be drink looking for, for that later.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, so, anyway, I'm sorry I interrupted you. It's called... It's what? It's called Game On. Game it's an On. IPA, and I really like it. Mm, classic classic, Lauren IPA. Mm-hmm. Um, Virginia Beach might not have good soil for wine, but... Uh, Acomac County on the Eastern Shore certainly does think that it does <laughs> because there are wineries.
1: Acomac <laughs> <Akumak laughs> County on the Eastern Shore?
0: Yeah, well, the, like, basically all of the Eastern Shore is Acomac County, and, like, where Chincoteague is. Okay, and, like, but I've
1: only seen, like, two wineries on the, Goog- on Google.
0: Yeah, like, we but... We tried they s- to
1: go to one, and it straight up wasn't there. And then some people told us that it is there, but we just, like, it was one of those things we pulled up, and GPS was like, you're here, and it was, like, the middle of a field. Mm. <laughs> We're like, no, I don't think we're here. Mm -hmm.
0: Oh, drink. Oh, there she is. Yep. Our neighbors are going someplace. And because this place has no no insulation, um, which means that our neighbors probably know me and Mark very well, which we frequently talk about. So (laughs) it is is what it is. We're all the same age and the same stage in life. So it's fine. There you go. Um, I am drinking a Devil's Backbone Gold Leaf Golden Lager. Uh, Gold Leaf. Yeah, it's called Gold Leaf. Um it's a golden lager. It's from Devil's Backbone, which for those of you who don't know, um is a brewery in Virginia in Charlotte. What's the name of the town? It's outside of Charlottesville. What's is D- it it's It's, it's like, it's probably close enough to say Crozet, but it's it's not. It's like one of those tiny little towns. It starts with an R, like Rosenberry, Virginia or something. Mm. Um, it is fine. It's like, um, it's. it says that it's crisp clean. It has bready notes. But mostly what it is pretty. is it has a pretty can and it's from home. So. I was just about to ask,
1: is it um, gold leafed
0: on the can? Uh, no, it is not gold leafed. That would be oh. a very expensive can of beer. But um, it is really pretty. It's got, like, um, a beautiful, like, mountain scene that looks like it's at sunset. And there is in the foreground um, a camping site and a woman with a dog on a canoe. Wow, just, that sounds lovely. Just a woman and her dog. No man. I love that. Actually, now I'm excited about this. Yeah.
1: <laughs> okay, also, I while we're talking about this, I'm looking at the can of my beer. So mm-hmm. it's called Game On, and it has all of these different – I'm now noticing – all of these different little icons for games. Like, it's got, like, a foam finger and some Nintendo video games and some Legos and some golf, but right in the center. Also, has, like, a, a hop that has the, like, digital-looking, like, tent- yeah. Tetris-y lines outside, and, like, a piece from Sorry and some dice and it's mm-hmm. a surfboard, but right in the center, there's a Golden Smitsch.
0: Oh, and you love that.
1: I do love that. Oh, You know what? This man. beer is – like it was like a real moment for me because I was stressed. Yes, yesterday was Wednesday, and it was um, it was Ash Wednesday, so I I went to like I went to work, then I coached my STEM team after school, and then I got stuck in bad traffic. And by the time I got home, we had basically like five seconds to like shove food in our faces and run out the door to go mm-hmm. to, to church. And um, I was like already on edge, and I and I knew that I was like, oh, I need to stop and get. Um, I guess I need a gas or something, and so I went to the gas station, and I was like, maybe I'll pick up a little six-pack of beer, and I was, I was like, but I don't know what gas station beer is going to be like. I walk in, right. they have a little refrigerated section of all local beers, and when I say local, I mean, like, in our zip code. Oh. It was so cool. I was like, Man. this is so neat. That's had, so nice. I'm yeah, glad people are
0: into into beer these days.
1: Yeah, except for my wife, but I'm, I I hold out hope that she will come around. Does she not like any beer? She used to like beer and now she's just kind of in like a not very drinky part of her life.
0: Yeah, so, I am too. I'm yeah. currently in that in that phase. Yeah. I honestly really I drink, drink once a week during this podcast. Yeah,
1: well, hey.
0: <laughs> yeah, and I'm drinking right now because my dog is being so annoying. You guys, these longer days mean that the that when we record it's light out. Millie, stop. That when we record, it's light out. You guys, you're hearing the real domestic interactions of a woman and her annoying dog. Um, <laughs> yeah, when it's light out, of, she can see the neighbors.
1: Exactly. She has a lot of things to bark at.
0: She has a lot of patrolling to do.
1: Yeah. She she really is keeping you safe and should be compensated as such.
0: Nine pa- Well, you know, this is her saying... I'm always telling her she's not pulling her weight around here, so maybe that's her trying to pull her weight. <laughs> if only she knew! Um, no. Tell me about the state of your union this week.
1: I will. Okay, so <laughs> I have been feeling—I was just mention i was just talking about Ash Wednesday service. I was yeah. really feeling a deep sense of gratitude for Caitlin this week. Um, she's gone again, another twenty-four hour shift. Yeah. Which, can we just have a little like moment? moment of silence.
0: Like, yeah.
1: If your intern is working a twenty-four hour shift, why the hell would not they be making minimum wage? Come on. Dust. Um, oh, I know. So she's there, and yesterday we went to the Ash Wednesday service. And on the way there, I was like, "Babe, I, I love you. I know you're not going to like this." Ash Wednesday for uh, to God's God's plan. It that's a term I got from my good Christian fun mm-hmm. podcast. <laughs> yep, God's <God-splain laughs> um, it, girl. Ad- Ash Wednesday is the beginning of the Lent season, and so in a lot of traditional churches, it's very it's a very somber occasion, um, yeah. and it's very much um, like the message is. We are, <laughs> we yep. are, we are from ashes and we are but ashes and to ashes we will return. But I saw somebody posted a, um, um, a church bulletin that hadn't been edited and it said we are but dust, <laughs> dust <laughs> and to dust we will return it made me think about uh, crap she craps soup she your wedding. <laughs> yep, she soup. We've told that story on here before, yeah, I think. Yeah, I think we have. If you have, yeah. if we haven't, well, you just get to guess. Yeah. Um. So anyway, so I was really talking to her and um, on the way there like saying, you know, I know you're not going to, um, you know, church is really not Caitlin's natural state of being. She has learned she really loves the church that we go to now, um, but I know that she does it and has adopted this part of her life as a, like in a role of partnership to me. And so I was really grateful that she, I was feeling very grateful for her yesterday. And then mm-hmm. on the way home, she asked me, She was like, what did you get out of that service? And I immediately, like, went into spin mode. And I was like, hey. Did you
0: feel defensive?
1: Um, I think instead of feeling defensive, I was trying to make the thing that fits me fit her. Is Mm -hmm. that defensive? I don't think Mm so. I think I was trying to be more, like, um. No, you were
0: trying to help speak her language.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah, but maybe, (laughs) like, not in the right way. I was. That was maybe what I was my intention, but what it came off as. So I immediately spun it, and I was like, well, I think that you would really agree with the message if we changed like this and this. And she was like, no, no, no. I didn't ask you what you think that I would get out of this. I want to know. She was like, this is going to be a long-term part of our lives. I want to see uh, that service from your eyes, and I want to see what you mm-hmm. love about it and what you got from it. And mm-hmm. that was just such a really... I don't know. It was a beautiful moment, and like I didn't take it super well in the moment. I was like, yeah. "Wait, I just I don't know." But reflecting on it today, I've been I've been feeling very thankful that that's the attitude that she goes into it with when she feels like brushed when something brushes up against her in the wrong way in the in the religious world. Um, you know, she she's willing to hear it from my mm-hmm. perspective and, and earnestly seeking my perspective. Yeah, which is I... really. It, I'm just excited about.
0: She wants to, like, understand you. Yeah, she Oh, way, call back. Yeah, she wants to, and here I am, like, listening intently, and you're joking. Um, I, you, she wants to understand you. She wants to, like, she wants to see, I just love that, that she really wants to know your relationship to this.
1: Yes. Okay, so what's the state of your union?
0: Um, so the state of my union this week, I have a funny story to tell you. So I'm
1: very excited about
0: this. Yes. So the other day I was in one of, well, let me first back up and tell you, do you know what Fosnacht day is? Have you heard of this? Fosnacht. And I wish, let me see how to spell it. I think it's F A U. Yeah, it's F A S N A C H T. Um, it's a it's a German donut. Um, it's a Pennsylvania Dutch thing, and mm. it's the day before. It's on Fat Tuesday. The day it's the day okay. before Ash Wednesday. Yeah, okay. And because uh, just like in what you were talking about, that's so funny that these fit in together. Um, yeah, uh, they have a um, in Pennsylvania Dutch. They have this tradition of like all of the foods that they would typically give up for lent like flour and sugar and stuff like that and butter they throw it all in um this big vat the day before um ash wednesday and they make these donuts and they're called fastnaughts and they taste like donuts they're just a little doughier and they're a little heavier they're really good they're not as sweet they're good so this was fastnaught day and mark and i hadn't really talked about it but like we had been we had seen a special on the news about it and like you know we knew that it was fastnaught day So that's kind of happening in the background. Meanwhile, I'm at work, kind of, I've had a lot of downtime at work recently, and uh, it's just, I've been getting in my head a lot, like, just reading too much, and, like, thinking too much, and... I need to be a little less introspective and a little bit more in the present world, um, but on this particular day, I was reading about relationships, and then it made me think about something that Mark had done in the beginning of our relationship uh, six years ago that really triggered me, and it was one of those things where it the thoughts triggered a feeling, which mm-hmm. then triggered thoughts that were unrelated to the original thoughts but were related to that feeling so then i just spent the whole day kind of like building up on myself so by the time i was on my way home that sounds
1: like fun
0: oh yeah no it's not great so by the time i was on my way home mark poor mark who had not done anything i worked it up in my head as this like big old problem so and i was i mean i was really really mad like i was like you and I had chatted that day about, like, I need to talk myself down from these thoughts. Like, I was just not in a good... Like, I was feeling really frustrated about something. And poor Mark was, like, not even really involved with it. It was all my mo- my own mind. Yeah. So I, I decide, though, that I wanted to go and pick up some not. So really what it was was that I had to get... I had to get a haircut and I was really hungry and I needed a snack because I know that when I get my haircut, it's going to take me a really long time because the girl that does my hair is my friend and we talk and we drink and it takes forever. And so I was like, I'm going to need something. I'm going to need a snack. So I'll stop at the bakery and get a knot and I'll get Mark one for, you know, I'll bring one home for him later too and he'll be really happy about that. So I pull into the parking lot and as I'm getting out of my car, I'm still having all these really negative thoughts I'm, th- I'm literally be- I'm being so healthy, Lauren. I'm literally thinking to myself, like, they're just thoughts. It doesn't really matter. Like, you don't need to get all worried about it. Um, and so I go in and I grabbed a number because on not Day, you have to get a number at the bakery and I'm waiting in line. And I feel somebody come up and rub my shoulder. And who is it but my husband, who what? was at the bakery doing oh the exact God. same thing for oh me my God. that I was doing for him. Yeah, he had just decided, I said, what are you doing here? And he said, I'm getting you a floss knot." So um, I was reminded. I was so tickled. What
1: a gift to the Magi. Well, no, then everybody ends up with presents. So what a well, we, reverse yeah. gift to the Magi.
0: Yeah, right. We and I was so um I was just so tickled that I was reminded that like even though some of the issues that I was thinking about are like grounded and they're they're not they're based in reality. Right. I had like worked them all up into a frenzy and was like demonizing Mark by the time I was at the bakery and then uh, he was there. It was just like the universe had put this little reminder there for me and I was just it was just it just tickled me so yeah. Oh. Mm-hmm. I was really excited <laughs> yeah. to tell that story to you. It was just like exactly what I needed in that moment. And I was like, oh, great. And then we had, and then he did, he never does the right thing in this situation, but he did. He said, I was only going to get one Foss knot for us to split, but then I decided to get two because I knew that that would upset you. And I said, oh. You're correct. I would have been very triggered by that. <laughs> Having <laughs> like to split a false knot. <laughs> so he was being really like Max husband. It was great. <laughs> oh, hundred
1: percent. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. Oh, yeah. I'm so happy to hear that. Also, I was buying Luna's birthday ice cream the other day and I, there were cake, um, what is it called? Cake pops, cake pops, cake pops. at the checkout counter. And I was like kind of frazzled in the moment. And I had Luna's ice cream and I picked, a, picked up a cake, um, pop, and then, because I think I was trying to talk myself out of getting ice cream for myself, because we were going to go do... Um, body pump and I was like I don't need a full belly of ice cream before I go work out and so I was frazzled and I'm walking out and I was like oh shoot I probably should have gotten a second one for Caitlin and I was like oh well I'll eat it really quick she'll never know I had it
0: uh-huh. and so then
1: I ate half of it and I was like oh I don't really like it and I <laughs> brought it home and I was like here babe I brought you half a cake pop.
0: oh gosh
1: yep I yeah, and then about- I, that's and then I like... fessed up and told her oh, the whole story no I fessed up and told her the whole story and she, she died laughing
0: <laughs> I love that so yeah my one of the big things with Mark is that, I don't know if I've ever told you about this, but he is always like thinking about getting me things and then not doing it and then telling me later that he thought about doing it. Uh. And I'm like, Mm, if you thought about getting me flowers, but then didn't get me flowers. And you don't get the credit. You don't get the credit. And instead, I'm now just sad that there is also part of you. There was a, the sweet part of you. And then the part of you that said, no, don't do that. Won. No, don't do that. Back it so off. that's what hurts. Yeah. I was like, so just don't tell me so that I don't. Yeah.
1: I My just, mom is famous for being like, I had the most amazing dessert and I only ate half of it. And I'm, I was so excited to bring it home to you. And I had it all packaged up and then I left it at the table at the restaurant and I'm like, why would
0: you even
1: tell me? (laughs) My
0: gosh, that is the worst. It's like the time, ugh, just being let down like that. This is, I'm not going to get into this story, but Mark and I were have, we had a layover in Miami once and they had overbooked the flight and they had asked, if anybody like there was one if if this one couple would just show up they had overbooked the flight and they would need two other people to say that they would spend the night in Miami in exchange for like thousands of flying miles. Oh. And Mark and I were like, Fuck yeah, Hell, we'll take yeah. those miles and spend the night in Miami. Sounds fun. But then and they it was only if this other couple showed up for the flight. And it was like an hour and a half before and we were like, sure they'll show up. They they never showed up. So the flight we had to get on the flight and go home. Oh and I man. was like, Yeah, what a freaking letdown. Don't even tell us about it then. <laughs> yeah, seriously. So, anyway, anyway, I this was not one of those situations. This is one of those situations where he, where he actually did it
1: and I think that is so sweet and like romantic in that everyday nurturing your relationship type of way. Yeah, and, <sighs> and it's not that a grand romantic gesture. It's a, it's like a small romantic gesture. Yeah, that those are the ones that actually sustain
0: the marriage. Agree, and those love languages of like gifts, like like that. Are not that it, it doesn't come naturally to Mark, so it's good that like it. That's just sweet. So, yeah. Anyway, I heard on the street we have a
1: listener question. Yes, we do. All okay, right. So, with our theme favorite of, uh, well, this week I think being having being marked by a, a sort of a holiday. It's at the end of Mardi Gras and all that. Um, I was thinking about. Um, celebration. So one of our, our listener cues is, how do you celebrate anniversaries with your spouse or do you? Mm. So how do you or do you celebrate anniversaries?
0: Yeah, that's a good question. That's um, a good question. Mark and I use it as an excuse to travel. Um, and we try, and I don't remember what we did this past year. Ugh, I hate that I don't remember because we did something,
1: but I don't remember. Is, is we this try... your wedding anniversary? Yeah, uh-huh. Do you still Um, celebrate your dating
0: anniversary? um, We don't celebrate it, but we point it out and we're like, hey, guess what? This is the day that we kissed for the first time and like, you know, kiss and that's it. Um, If we remember it or like... Yeah, this well, this year we forgot about it, but then on the fourth like, I was like, we we yeah we do yeah that's also a pun that comes up frequently in our life. Um, <laughs> this year we forgot about it, but we remembered on the fourth. But yeah, we we just celebrate our wedding anniversary, but we talk a lot about like oh this six years ago, this is what we were doing. Like how weird is that?
1: So, yeah. What about you guys? Six years, mom. Well. Yeah, no, I'm a yeah. big fan of, of celebrations in general. I think it's good to celebrate, like, to mark things with celebration because so much of life is not a celebration. So uh-huh. we even still uh-huh. do the – I still mark – we always, like, notate the um, number. Like, every time – so we started dating on the first of a month, and then we got married on the first of a month. So I always calculate and, and like, comment on how long we've, like, been together. And when we come to the big ones, even, like, six months – when we, like, when we were together, like, six months, we had a, th- uh, I remember Caitlin took me to a musical, which was a big step. Yeah. Um, and, like, even now, whenever it's the first of the month, I'm like, oh, we've been dating, we've been together for this many months. Like, it's yeah. like you know, f- four years, eight months or whatever. Uh-huh. Oh, and we've been married for this long. So, wow. I don't know. I just think. it's cute. I think we definitely do also use it as an excuse to travel when we can try to take weekends away when we can, um, but lately we've been just trying to mark in quieter ways. I try to do um, flowers or cards or just a special. Oh, Caitlin does this thing. It is so sweet. She, I'll come home and she will have and nine times out of ten, she'll set up this little thing with like a wine bottle and two wine glasses, and we won't even ever get around to drinking the wine because I'll just be sitting there. She'll set up the blanket and like a board game for us to play and a wine bottle and two wine glasses, and just to celebrate like a daily thing. And it's like, oh, yeah, just on the floor of our bedroom. It's that's very really sweet. sweet. It really means a lot to me. And I remember she used to do things like that. Um for other, like, to mark other occasions. Like, Valentine's Day, I remember one day I walked in and she had, like, this little palette set out and she had made chocolate-covered strawberries. She's really big on the uh, ambiance of the situation. Yeah.
0: That's really great, too. Mark, I was just thinking while you were talking that Mark and I should do, like, we should do a better job of, like, not, it doesn't have to be a huge deal. Mark is the, Mark is, I would almost, he's not a hipster at all, but I would almost say he has this, like, hipster attitude that's, like, if he likes a band and then other people like the band, he stops liking the band. So um, (laughs) he's also kind of that way about, like, holidays. Like, he really does not want to seem excited about holidays ever. So, like, on Valentine's Day, he might, at, like, 5.45 in the afternoon on Valentine's Day, be like, oh, by the way, happy Valentine's Day. And, like, that's it from him. And so, like, I just know that. But I am wondering if there's a way that I can pitch to him that, like, these tiny celebrations, like, what if, I was just thinking about, like, what if on, like, Fat Tuesday, I had, like, made Jambalaya or something? Like, why don't I do that? Yeah. Like, why don't I think ahead, you know? Why don't I right. just, like, try to make little things, little celebrations?
1: Yeah, I remember um, Gottman posted something about marking um, time, the passage of time with rituals and tradition. Mm-hmm. And, it, like, we did the mold wine on Halloween. Yeah. And um, I know some families do, like, certain special, I don't know, it's good to, It's good to have those little, like, we always do breakfast burritos on Christmas, and, like, having those little things, and especially for, like, the random holidays. Yeah. Like, how do you celebrate Arbor Day? Yeah,
0: I mean, and Mark and I, like, I am, that's something, maybe I'll make that, like, a, resolu- a relationship resolution <laughs> mm-hmm. to try to make
1: little things more special. I will, too. And I, um, I just are I'm really excited,
0: guys! This is our listener challenge to you guys. We are going to do. We're all going to take a little relationship resolution to try to make the like little things more special, I love um, it. and tell us what you've done. Like to do a little tiny celebration, whether that's like, oh, you know what I think would be a really cute idea to wake up early. Why does everything involve food? To wake up early and like um, just on a random day and just make your spouse chocolate chip pancakes, just like on a random day for Aww. no reason.
1: Yeah, that That'd is be really so cute. sweet. I love that. And also, I think I need to do that because um, I got in a little bit of uh, <laughs> trouble this week. Caitlin Uh-oh. was comparing my, um, she was working on her schedule, so she pulled up my calendar. Uh-huh. And she's going through, and she notices that there's a little no- notification on her birthday, on the date of her birthday. And so she clicks on it and thinking, like, it's going to be like, oh, my beautiful wife's birthday or something. And, it and it's said,
0: like, don't fuck it up, Lauren. Get her a present.
1: No, it, said, <laughs> it just said Orthodox Easter.
0: Oh, <laughs> well, you don't have to remember her birthday. You just I know. Like, her I am
1: not gonna forget your birthday, babe. Like imagine a, in a world
0: in which you and I ever forgot their birthdays. Oh, god, <laughs> I'm never. already thinking ahead.
1: Oh my god! Yeah. <laughs> Speaking it would be my birthday is next week, to celebrate week, Orthodox so. Easter in, it like, a little thing. Yes, Katie! Funny. It's your birth month, and your birthday is so soon! Yeah, my birthday's next week,
0: and last year yeah. my husband, God love him, legendarily, um misunderstood my birthday instructions and so um this year he has been making it very clear that he has understood my birthday (laughs) instructions (laughs) so I will update everybody on maybe we can do after my birthday we can do an episode on birthdays and talk about the whole birthdays saga of the last two years that would be a very
1: good episode yeah because
0: birthdays are so freaking heavy man and relationships Mm -hmm. are so intense
1: No kidding.
0: So, okay, well, speaking of intense things, are you ready to jump into today's topic?
1: Katie, I am ready, but I have a lot of trepidation about, like, walking into this place. It's, I have not thought about our topic for today, I think, in a a really, um, deep way.
0: Okay, well, sit back and listen, girl, because I've got stuff to teach. This is an area of interest of mine, because this is, like, this is really, this, our topic today really intersects well with, um my background and my training so lauren and i are really interested in talking about the well we want to start talking about on here the relationship between our childhoods and um our marriages now and our relationships now and they say have you heard this quote before or this like saying before about how um our childhoods are like relationship university and like they our parents write the syllabus for like how for like our relationships and like outside of our childhoods if we very well might not learn anything about how to be in a relationship outside of our childhood. Oh my God,
1: no. I've never heard that and I 100% agree.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So there's so much to be talked about here. So we're going to start with one teeny tiny little corner, like the pinky toe of this um, issue, childhood and and adult relationships. We're going to start with talking about attachment. Um, Do you know what attachment is, Lauren? You remember studying this when you were in school. For teaching,
1: um, yes, I do. I I have a very rudimentary understanding. Okay, I think just and I, the way I see it with with children and like I see it like the beginning stages of it, and then I'm obviously like, I, to me attachment is how you were loved and how that has formed you.
0: Yes. Okay. So uh, that is a really great way to boil it down for all of our listeners. Um, I'm going to do a little bit more of a deep dive into that. So. When we're talking when I'm talking about attachment, I'm going to talk about this like from a like clinical perspective. So I'm talking about attachment theory, um which is a psychological model that attempts to describe the dynamics between long term and short term inter interpersonal relationships between humans, primarily looking at the relationship between infants and primary caregivers. That was where attachment theory, like, first um that was
1: the infancy of its design
0: uh, if you will and (laughs) i will will. yep (laughs) um so but there is so i'm so psyched to talk about this in relationship to adult relationships so um just wait until we get there you guys so i'm like nerding out i've been nerding out so much on this this week i've been doing so much research and like pulling out textbooks from school and like just i'm i love this so basically just to give you um kind of an overview and then i'll give you a little bit in the background attachment theory only addresses a specific facet of human relationships so our attachment style addresses how we respond when we're hurt separated or perceiving a threat Um, and our attachment style we get from our early relationships with our primary caregiver Um, however just because it happens in our early relationship with our primary caregiver doesn't mean that it's, it's relevant to all relationships because, um, even the most, um, even those among us that had the most enlightened and loving and supportive parents had parents that were not always responsive and were not always perfect. And so even those of us who are like super securely attached and have, you know, no real attachment wounds or whatever um, are still subject to some insecurities um, just based on the fact that, like, you know, I'm sure one day when you were crying as a child, Sandy, like, had the flu and couldn't get to you fast enough, you know?
1: If you know Sandy, then it was a migraine.
0: Yes. Okay. So then it was a migraine. (laughs) Right. And, like, and then you were just going to have to be good enough. And, like, you're fine. So, Mm -hmm. but, okay, so here's the background of attachment theory. Um, The four parents of attachment theory are John Bowlby and Mary Ainsworth, and John Bowlby was, like, the original person who believed that attachment was due to, um, like, the attachment between a child and the mother was due to uh, evolutionary pressure to basically stay alive, that, like... An infant and a mother have an evolutionary drive to stay attached because an mm-hmm. infant needs a mother to protect it. Yeah. Mary Ainsworth comes along and starts studying this in children through this experiment um, called the Strange Situation Protocol. And you you probably, when I say this, you're going to remember watching videos of this. Um, there are YouTube videos out there of, like, this actual interaction that you can watch if this sounds interesting to you. Um, what she did is she took a bunch of children ages three to 18, or three months to 18 months, so like infants, and observed them playing in a room while their caregivers in, like came and left the room multiple times, and then a stranger came and left the room multiple times. And Mary Ainsworth observed how these different infants responded, and through these behaviors kind of developed some theories about um, how children how how children have been loved and how that influences how they relate to the world which is Mm -hmm. your definition of it Mm -hmm. so what basically what she did is she observed the uh mary Ainsworth observed the following aspects of the child's behavior i'm reading for my notes here Uh, the amount of exploration that the child did through the experiment while the adults were coming in and out of the room, the child's reaction to the departure of their caregiver, the child's anxiety related to being left alone with the stranger, the child's reunion behavior with the caregiver, um, and basically um, they found that the attachment system, which is what they called like all of the, the nervous system that is activated, when attachment is happening. Um, The attachment system is expected to be activated by the departure and the return of the caregiver, but the child is also expected to be reasonably comforted by that caregiver. So, um, based on on the basis of this behavior, the children were categorized into four different categories or attachment styles. Um, Basically, the first attachment style is called secure. So, a secure attachment style is... Um, where a kid feels like or an infant feels like the relationship with the parent is strong enough that they feel confident to explore um, safely. And that if there's something risky, they know that their parents will be there to help, but they also feel like they can go and explore. And the key to having a secure attachment is, and this is so key for what we're going to be talking about through the rest of this conversation, is that the child has to feel, it's the four S's, seen, soothed, safe and secure mm-hmm. so that's how the child feels safe to explore the second type of a category of attachment style is avoidant so what um What an avoidant, well, let's actually go, let's talk about anxious children first. So what anxious children will do is when the caregiver would come and go, the anxious child would get very, very clingy. So um, an anxious child might show distress even before separation and demonstrate clingy or inconsolable behavior, respond to unpredictably responsive caregiver, or this is a response to an unpredictably responsive caregiver who frequently misinterprets the child's attachment behaviors and displays anger or help. The child might display anger or helplessness towards the caregiver, um, but that can be regarded as trying to control the situation by trying to get attention ahead of time. So this is what you see when you see kids that are like trying to get attention, right? They're having anxious attachment. They're worried that they're not going to get the attention that they need. So they'll maybe like have a meltdown to just make sure that they have it avoidant children are so afraid that they're not going to have their needs met or are so used to not having their needs met, they just kind of shut down, right? They're not even really, like, paying attention. When the caregiver comes and goes, they don't even really pay attention. Um, and then the fourth type is disorganized. And this is when you, what you'll see in children who um, are being abused, where they are so flooded with, like, terror emotions that they basically um, go into freeze, like they dissociate. Um, mm. So... When we're looking at these... I know, I could yeah. name,
1: like, a child for each one of these things. Right. Because so especially, it's harder to maybe, to identify in adults, because, like, that's probably why I, like, haven't really spent a ton of time considering it, because in adult relationships, you don't see it as clearly. The yeah. children are such, um, such products of their environments. I mean, we all are, but we're just better at hiding it. Adults are better. Yeah.
0: Them. Yeah, you're exactly right. Well, and here's the thing that, that makes it especially true about kids. So if you'll notice in this, like this, I love that Mary Ainsworth was doing these experiments in like the sixties and seventies. And I love that now we know that like neuroscience backs this up because if you'll notice, her experiment had infants ages three months to eighteen months, and those were the things that were what was going on during that time was influencing what was going to be happening in their later relationships. The reason for this is because during that period, during the first two per- two years of our life, we're experiencing like massive, like a neurological explosion. Our brains are actually pretty underdeveloped when we're born. I'm mm-hmm. sure Caitlin can talk about this. And then our brains continue to develop at like an exponential rate in the first two years of our lives. Mm-hmm. And we're creating all of these new neural connections within the context of these early caregiving relationships, Absolutely. right? And so mm-hmm. what's happening is that we're br- the brain is taking this specific and generalizing it. And then also, unfortunately, what happens is that we have, you know, we have it's kind of like confirmation bias. We expect we seek out relationships that we expect to fit the mold, the predetermined model of our earlier relationships. So that's kind of the background to all of this. The last thing that I'll say before we get into talking about attachment and romantic relationships is that the primary caregiver isn't the only attachment relationship but only certain relationships are classified as quote attachment relationships okay you can only be defined as an attachment relationship if they display a number of key features including Um, The elicitation of that of that type of behavior um, by by like a threat or like if like basically um, the elicitation of concern when that relationship goes away, proximity seeking when there's fear or like high emotions. So basically the idea is whoever you look to when you're scared or nervous or need help, that's your attachment figure.
1: Interesting.
0: Yeah. And so
1: And, and you can have multiple.
0: Yep. Mm hmm. You can have multiple attachment figures. And even right now, like if you think about right now, you probably, I know for a fact, I have two primary attachment figures right now in my life that as an adult, that people that I, that if I was feeling, if I was suffering that I, that I think about for you when you're sick, who do you want when you're sick? Who do you mm-hmm. go to when you're sick? Cause that's what, that's when we see these attachment, these attachment behaviors in kids, meaning things where they're asking for connection with the parents. So, being scared or crying or sick so for you as an adult lauren who is it that you like are there people that you feel drawn to when you're sick as an adult
1: caitlin yes yeah who else Yeah, primarily caitlin okay um and i think also my my parents are still really and really my mom is like the the that's what i was gonna say yeah and it's funny i think as you as you enter into more relationships, how things shift and also don't,
0: you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, and it's true, but when I think about it now, like, I still am very attached. Like, Mark is my primary person that I reach out to. He's definitely my primary attachment figure. But my mom is also very much an attachment figure to me. I mean, if I'm sick or scared, that's the first person I reach out to. Um, other than my husband. So, it's, it's, that's an important thing to carry into this. Um, mm-hmm. So before I go into talking about attachment and romantic relationships, any reflections so far? I know that I just want to give you the background on this because what is so, what is so cool to me is that they observed this, like, I just want to reiterate, they observed this phenomenon in experiments like many years ago. And now we're actually coming to understand like the neuroscience behind what is happening. And in psychiatry, there's this cool like concept. The difference between, I just heard a doctor say this the other day, the difference between neurology and psychiatry is... The mind brain barrier, the difference between the, the, like the physical brain and the mind. And I am like, that to me is what like attachment is all there. Right. It's, it's the, it's the intersection of the mind and the brain and our mind relationships. And brain, yeah.
1: Yeah. And mm-hmm. our, yeah. In and in our evolution. I think I have so many thoughts on this from my teacher brain, but because yeah. we're a relationships thought, pod- you want me to pod- go into yes.
0: that and then I can, you can give more thoughts.
1: Um, yeah, and I do have a couple of reflections, like, yeah. in, in thinking about what this looks like in adult relationships, mm-hmm. and I, I'm recalling this instance where I was talking to a friend about another person, um, and she was taught, and she was telling me about this person's relationship, like, history and background, That it just seemed, and the person to me seemed very together and well-adjusted, but the relationship history was fraught with drama, just, like, it, to me, seemed like soap opera level drama. Like, just yeah. all kinds of just the kind of, as the story of stories of just picking the wrong people over and over again, and getting the wrong kinds of um, of feedback from those relationships. Yep. And I asked my friend, who was like the, like we were talking about, it was like a close friend and I talking about a, a tertiary person who was closer to her, so I was asking her about it, and I was like, why do you think that she operates in this way? Because it seems very painful and, and hard to deal with and she was like Mm. well and she we got into talking without using the terminology we got into talking about attachments and it turns out that this person was seeking these relationships because she had attachment but she had a, no models for this kind of behavior. And, and the relationships that she was seeking yeah. that seemed toxic were actually the same kinds of relationships that she had with her family members.
0: Yeah, And I, like,
1: I remember having this moment of like, wow, like we are so, so affected by this for always and forever. Mm-hmm. Relationship university.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, the woo-woo part of me would say like, I think that we will continue to repeat the, those old traumas and those old patterns until we heal from them. Because I think that, I and this isn't even that woo woo. I mean, but there's a lot of trauma therapists who would stand by this that people reenact their traumas in an effort to understand and yeah. gain power and learn and 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 even if it that's subconscious, um people are doing that to try to gain power and and it takes consciousness and awareness and waking up to it to actually gain the power sometimes. That, you that know?
1: makes a lot of sense.
0: Which is totally, the good news is that that's so possible. <laughs> um, so if you find yourself in, yeah. like, a cycle of toxic, it's hard, but it's really totally yeah. possible.
1: No, it is. And I think think also, like, the important, well, the good news and then also, like, our, our call to action is that we really need to be, as we, like, consider parenthood, we have to really take that very, very seriously.
0: Well, you know, I was just talking with my colleague yesterday about this because obviously attachment is really, it's something that comes up daily in my job. And we were talking about what is our responsibility. So obviously we were talking about, actually this research I was doing for the podcast and about the, like, okay, so we know that because of the impact that our behavior has on our infants, we have a responsibility, right, to to pay attention to that. But if we also know that our behavior has an impact, an actual biological, neurological impact on all of our attachment figures, right? It's a bi-directional impact on all attachment figures. Then to what degree are we actually responsible for our adult spouses? And we went around for like 35 minutes about like where do you find the line between what you're responsible for and what you're not responsible for? and um, Making mm-hmm. the other person feel seen, too safe and secure, you know.
1: Wow, yeah, you could, you can, you could sit in that echo chamber forever. I know, I and my coworker and I love to do that. Absolutely, and I would love to do that too. I think, and I guess that's what we're doing.
0: Yeah, that's <laughs> what this whole podcast <laughs> because, is about. <actually> okay, so <laughs> what are
1: your, what are your thoughts? To what degree do you feel you are responsible? Um, and is Mark responsible to you?
0: I my th- so that has been my my big whole um, like spiritual question force. well my my spiritual question of 2019 has been what do we owe one, one another and like um just trying to, i'm always trying to you figure out like, like
1: specifically no like us humanity American like universe, what uh, what do
0: we owe one another mm-hmm. um because i'm always you know me like i'm big like i am boundary queen i love a boundary but also mm-hmm. like where um do we let those boundaries... Like, certainly some of the most incredible, beautiful acts of kindness have involved people really letting their boundaries down, you know, and doing things that might have been sacrificial for them. But, you know, I like, I don't know. So my answer is you take it on a case-by-case basis and that I don't think that there's any other answer that you just... And my coworker and I basically said the end of our conversation, and of course we had to go and do actual work, was... Um, Given like it would be impossible to create a hard and fast rule, and so you have to take it in a case by case basis because it's so every issue is so complex that, like, you know, you but you also have to know that with power, and this is what my colleague said, knowing this with power comes responsibility, so we always have to be aware. I know, so we always have to be aware that we are that our behavior is actually, and like how we're interacting and how we're being responsive to our partner is actually affecting them. Okay. Well, let me go into talking about uh, attachments and romantic relationships to give this even a little bit more context. So in the eighties, attachment theory began to be applied to adult relationships. Romantic relationships appear to function as the same part of the motivational system. So they've romantic relationships and, um, like primary caregiver relationships really appear to be like um, two branches on the same tree. So basically here's a cool thing. You're going to love this. I've like highlighted this. I was like, Lauren's going to love this fact, the relationship between infants and caregivers and the relationship between adults and romantic partners share all of the following features. Both feel safe when the other is nearby and responsive, both engage in close, intimate bodily contact Both feel insecure when the other is inaccessible. Both share discoveries with one another. Both play with one another's facial features and exhibit a mutual fascination and preoccupation with one another. And both engage in baby talk. (laughs) And so all of those observations have led, like, researchers to... And more, you know, things have led researchers to conclude that these two types of relationships are... Even though it seems, you know, kind of weird to say that, like a mother infant connection is in the exact same category as like a spouse connection. Yeah. You know, it's in the wow. same kind of physical visceral system.
1: Yes. And mm-hmm. it, that's true. And that's, it's hard, it's hard and challenging to, to push the boundaries of what you think about as like your, your relationship with your family and your parents and uh, as a child and your marriage it also makes a lot of sense because you're creating a new family, and the way that you're going to do that is by reflecting on what you know as family.
0: That's true, and also part of it is because, like, it's actually in your system, like it's actually in your, like it's okay. in your genes.
1: Here's that's true, and here is a um, slightly off-topic but still related question: Why do you think there is such disdain? For, okay, because I don't believe that there's a couple of lives that doesn't have their own secret, like, not secret, but their own way of discussing things with each other. And a lot of times we refer to that as baby talk. That initially makes everyone cringe. Everyone's like, woof, like, don't talk to each other like that. Yeah. I wonder why we feel so strongly, um, like, anti the idea of that kind of communication between partners
0: Um, I bet you something about it has to do with like um probably the same reason why like
1: (laughs) it seems icky?
0: Yeah, it seems icky to us. Like, but with babies everybody has that urge. Like, even if you're not my baby, I'm gonna speak to you in baby talk. But I'm not gonna talk to Caitlin in baby talk. You know? Um, so I don't know. There's something private about that. It's almost like like I also wouldn't like um Like, if your baby came up and kissed me on the lips, I would be okay. But if Caitlin kissed me on the lips, it would be (laughs) weird, (laughs) you know? Yeah. uh, I don't
1: know. There's something. We've had issues. uh, That hits close to home. I've had issues with, not my family members, but in blending our families, like, just people kissing me in places that I'm like, I don't need to be kissed. (laughs) She
0: has a physical touch family, so (laughs) one language is physical touch. It's attachment,
1: Exactly. It yeah, is. it's true. That's funny. It's interesting. That's super fascinating to me. Thinking about well, why we why we react to some things in these ways when really we are all products of our own attachments, and yeah. that's how we how we knit them together with yeah. our own.
0: Well, so then let's talk about what an attachment behavior is in a child, and then what an attachment behavior is in an adult. So, in a child, when an like an attachment behavior is what I, any anything that I was telling you earlier, like when a kid makes a bid for attention, like um, a, a cry or something an adult and the first you can there's no such thing as spoiling your child in the first 18 months of their life literally everything that's happening in the first 18 months of their life is about like mm. teaching them that they're safe and secure so if you think that you're letting your kid cry it out like that's probably fine I'm not telling you that you're a bad parent but you're also definitely not a bad parent if you go and pick them up and hold them it's fine <laughs> you're not yeah. spoiling your child <laughs> I uh, take it for me you're you fine. know okay
1: <laughs> can I uh, so this is a story that I, I know and I've heard a lot so in there are certain communities that Caitlin has worked in where the idea of breastfeeding um that in instantly the moment Caitlin the moment Caitlin is not born the moment Caitlin like helps give helps the process of childbirth um the moment the moment that baby comes out in certain communities there are there's this idea that like as soon as the baby wants the mom's breast that baby is being quote unquote selfish greedy wow. and like there's language to that effect around that baby for wanting that breast and um uh, caitlin has like has kind of struggled with how to address this uh this particular notion and i think i don't know it's just very interesting yeah
0: that's an attachment I don't behavior know where,
1: right it's a, it's absolutely an attachment behavior and i think it comes oftentimes when when women are and these are gross generalizations and I am probably definitely talking about something that I don't have enough, enough background to really, we'll forgive is, you. this is tertiary, uh, news that I'm getting, that I'm yeah. sh- spreading here. But I think a lot of it comes from maybe sometimes when women are put in positions where they have, they are maybe giving birth where, when they've ha- not had enough time to a- establish an identity. Uh-huh. And so all of a sudden it's like giving of themselves to that baby. Or Ooh. that's at least what it reads as to me,
0: yeah. you know?
1: And yeah. it, that, it's so funny because that's going to affect that child and their attachment styles for the rest of their
0: lives. Yeah, it's very, very true because what I would see there is maybe that there would be the development of some avoidant styles, right? So maybe, well, okay, so in adults, this attachment behavior is not to bring in our favorite dude, but here I go. Gottman? Um, I'm here. I, you, yep. you
1: used the word bid and I was like, Gottman.
0: It's all Gottman. <laughs> in a, so in its adult attachment, it looks very attachment behaviors look very similar to what John Gottman calls bid for attention. So bids for attention. So I'll, we'll link to this amazing article that was in The Atlantic a few years ago that's mm-hmm. basically called, Turns out to stay in love all you have to do is be nice or something like that. Yes. And it's all about John Gottman's bids for attention, which I believe mm-hmm. we talked about on this podcast before.
1: Um, Has well, you can explain it. I can, um, Yeah, explain yeah. it really quick. Well, the boiled down, and this is the example that John used, <laughs> my friend John, that Dr. Gottman uses. He says that if you see a, a bird out the window and you know that your partner, if the partner who's, who's into bird watching sees a bird and tells their partner about it, then they need to make sure that they understand that the partner can respond in a couple of different ways. They can say, hey... That's a bird bird, and the partner responds by saying, oh, cool. Or they can literally be like, stop talking to me. I don't want to hear about your bird. Or, like, or they who ca- might turn who about and birds. say, yeah. who cares about birds? Birds are stupid. Or, which is obviously hostile. But the hostile response. Yeah. Or they can turn into their partner and respond to the bit about this bird and be like, wow, that's so interesting. That reminds me of this other bird that we saw this other time. Or what do you think it's, like, evolutionary yeah. purpose? Or, like, just engaging or the partner even, in conversation about the bird.
0: It could It's even something so small as, like, just to make it, like, really drive this home for you, I always imagine it as, oh, hey, look at that bird and in a realistic relationship like somebody being just ignoring them like still looking at the paper and putting coffee in the cup and just walking away versus oh huh and like then walking away right like there is a difference between just kind of not engaging, and you don't even have to really engage to say, oh, I'm listening to you and I hear what you say and I'm paying attention. And yeah. that is what, like, same thing with a little kid who is maybe throwing a temper, or, like or a baby who's freaking out. You don't have to do anything special. You just have to be there. It's all
1: about presence and safety. This, okay, I had this child once, and I'm going to, I will turn off my teacher brain for most of this, but mm-hmm. I do think this is a really clear example of this. I had this child once who was definitely a gifted learner, like 100%, very high-functioning, had a ton of angry issues. He had a lot of issues going on at home. And I remember that soccer was a particularly... hot and heavy issue for him and we came in from recess and he would always be like kind of miffed about what had ever had whatever had happened on the soccer field and one day he was so mad he couldn't function and so yeah i knew he was mad and so i wrote and so i but i needed to teach so i started teaching teaching my lesson and i wrote him a lesson a little note and i was like hey i see that you're really upset what's going on and he wrote and he had the skills he could write out to me like here's what happened at the soccer field And so, and then I teach, I'm teaching my lesson while he's writing this. And of course he's like already like two steps past what I'm teaching anyway. So it didn't matter that he wasn't paying attention. And I remember, and so I'm teaching and then I go back to his note and I see what he's written. And I, and all I said was, I'm really like, I I can see that you're really affected by this. Yeah, And that's literally, and he was able to like breathe and like be a person for the rest of the day.
0: Yes, acknowledgement. That
1: was um, was a major teacher win for me, I'm gonna tell you. Like there's a lot of times I did not handle things that well, but I remember that time being like, I did that exactly right. That's exact all he needed was for me to say, like, yeah, I can see that that was really hard for Mm. you. That you felt that game that call was unfair.
0: Yeah. And now we
1: can move on.
0: Yeah. That is uh that's all kids need to know is that. To be and when, seen.
1: That's number one, right? Seen, seen
0: soothed, soothed, safe, soothed, secure. Safe soothed. Mm-hmm. We talk a lot about how we, and, and th- teachers and therapists, can become attachment figures as well for children. Oh, for yeah. children and their clients. Oh, so oh, we. Yeah. Uh, my my colleagues and I talk a lot about how to make our patients feel seen to safe and c- secure without enabling them right because yeah. in those moments sometimes enabling people when you set sometimes setting a boundary does not make somebody feel secure so yeah. well okay so there's a couple things that I really want to so if you're wondering what is your attachment style i'm having a hard time remembering what i was like as a kid i don't really remember what my parents did so I have some gui- or some basic ways to figure out maybe what your attachment style might be in your relationship. Um, my little caveat here is that because our psychologies are a lot more complex than they were in our infancy, it's better to think about our attachment styles as adults as somewhat fluid, um, but probably more in like varying in degrees of intensity. Most people that are talking about this now talk about adult attachment in terms of degrees, um, but just for continuity's sake, I'm going to talk about like... I'm going to use the same kind of terminology as that we've been talking about with the kids. So, um, people who are anxiously attached, you might be anxiously attached or have some anxious attachment style in your adult relationships. If you, um, are really self-critical or if you struggle with insecurity issues, um, if you may, if you feel like you're seeking, if you're like approval seeking or if you feel like you need a lot of reassurance in your relationships, um, if you have some like core beliefs that make trust difficult, like that maybe people shouldn't be trusted or that people will betray you. Mm-hmm. Um, people who have anxious attachment styles might be clingy or a little prone to codependence and may, may feel emotionally desperate at sometimes Now I'm not saying any of this from a judgmental place. Everybody calling somebody desperate and saying that somebody feels emotionally desperate are different things. And I think that, you know, like that feeling of emotional desperation I think everybody can relate to but a lot of people feel like that in their romantic relationships even in long term ones yeah. and so if if that sounds like you think a little bit back to your childhood and like w- how dependable people were in your childhood um avoidant people who are avoidant and I see this a lot in a lot of people um, may may fear or avoid commitment um, may be turned off by displays of physical or emotional intimacy or um, by displays of emotions in general they might find nitpicky reasons to reject somebody or might avoid going all in like might just keep one foot out of the canoe you know while they're trying to um, in the relationship and then they might also do something like um, idealize an ex or try to think about like a perfect soulmate compare their current partner to a um, like a perfect ideal person, which is, of course, a sign of like refusing to commit. <laughs> yeah. So, people with um, pe-
1: that sounds like the confirmed bachelor, yeah, type of attachment.
0: Uh huh, exactly. You see this in some guys. Um, People who have disorganized attachment style may become flooded by their emotions related to past traumas in the context of current emotional closeness. So if you have a disorganized attachment style, um, chances are, you know, um, uh, maybe you don't know those exact words, but you definitely know that something is going on with you because your relationships are typically um, fraught with um a lot of emotional flooding and, and, um, people with disorganized attachment styles often deal with that emotional flooding by uh, dissociating, checking out, um, you know, uh, numbing with substances. It's usually really, that's an intense feeling. Um, and then people with secure attachment styles tend to feel comfortable seeking support from their partner and being separated from their partner. Now here's a really cool key difference between child attachment and adult attachment in infants. There is, by a rule, securely attached infants feel anxious when their caregiver leaves the room. They feel nervous because that means that they are attached to their caregiver. Mm -hmm. As a rule, securely attached adults do not feel anxious when their partner leaves the room. Um, they feel secure with their partner and away from their partner. And that's a really key, a key part of this. Um, and then also people who with secure attachment styles, there's, there's confidence that their bids for attention will be met with love. and that when, atta- when expectations aren't met, securely attached people easily offer generous expen- es- explanations for their partners. They don't jump to conclusions. So that
1: interesting,
0: those are just general overviews. Um, I know that Mark and I are both we both are um, have some degree of avoidant attachment. Both of us do. Um, And I know that uh, not and, you know, for the vast, vast majority, we have a secure attachment. But both of us are a little avoidant in some ways. And that maps pretty closely with our childhoods. Um, And so I don't know, just something to think about. That's,
1: that's really, really interesting. I feel like... This Do is you like
0: see stra- that now better in adults?
1: A scrap this. What? Huh?
0: Do you see... Like, are you able to see attachment in adult... Like, are you able to turn off the teacher mind now and see it a little bit more clearly in adult relationships?
1: Yeah. I think so. I, I, I think... Especially because... Like, with your last segment on what that looks like. Yeah. And, and how, how people respond to certain things.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I've got some tips on um, how to increase increase attachment security in your relationships if you want to hear.
1: I really do. These
0: are Katie's tips. These are not from any particular like. These are my these are my tips as a mental health professional who. Okay, like, so you're that's...
1: speaking as as your professional.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Self. This is spe- I am I am currently speaking as my professional self. So, mm-hmm. um, well, an off we duty professional self. Uh,
1: should we give you your professional self a different name?
0: I don't really know because we'll talk about this because I I am I'm, I I'm off duty, but I'm I'm very much my like professional self. But I'm just, off duty when you're
1: being professional. You'll be just like K.
0: Yeah, that's right. You know,
1: like it's like when you're just chatting you're Katie, but when you're professional you're K.
0: That's maybe. We'll we'll workshop we'll it. We'll workshop it. it. Okay, so um, here's some exercises for increasing uh, attachment security. So the first is that the first is that you need to conduct an honest inter and intra personal attachment inquiry. And what I mean by that is that I want you to, like, you should, cons- I want you to, I'm talking like a therapist now. I want you to consider how your attachment style influences your relationship. You might consider um, <laughs> how your attachment style influences your relationship. If you are somebody, I'm not telling you these attachment styles just so you can be like, well, I'm a Gemini, which is why I'm a two-faced bitch. Like, no, <laughs> I'm telling you, I'm telling you your attachment style so you can understand, okay. This is where this behavior comes from, but we also know that because these things are bi-directional, if I am having an anxious attachment style and I'm displaying a lot of really um, intense, anxious behaviors, that's really going to affect my husband's attachment style. My husband might my or my partner might become a little bit more avoidant then because the chaos increases in the house, you know? So like really get honest with yourself about how your behavior affects your relationship. What are you doing to um, consider also what are you doing to increase your partner's sense of security? How are you like how is it that you're making your partner feel like they can be safe to explore and um, and be independent, but also come back and be safe with you? The second thing is to be honest about the impact of attachment wounds in your relationship, meaning things that really violate the security, that really violate those four S's cheating, emotional neglect, violence, things like that. Um, you, those wounds have to be healed and children that have attachment wounds. I am not kidding. And, and you probably know this too. In children that have attachment wounds from three months to 18 months, there are like whole therapies that are designed to help heal those wounds. There's a one disorder specifically in the DSM reactive attachment disorder that is is four attachment wounds. It is so serious when these things yeah. happen in the first 18 months of life. We know oh this serious. Yeah. yeah. And we know how serious these things are. And so it's not as serious, right? Cause we're adults. However, It's still on a literal, like visceral physiological level. These wounds of of cheating, violence, betrayal of any sort in these relationships cannot be skimmed over or else the attachment in the relationship will never heal. Um, There's a really good rule of thumb that we used to talk about a lot in my old job where we had to talk about relationships a lot uh, when I used to work with sexual violence perpetrators, um, which is about trust, which is like trust is like a china plate. You drop it on the floor once and you can maybe glue it back together and still use it but if you drop it on the floor again you can maybe glue it back together but it's going to be harder less less attractive less functional and by the third time you drop it it's
1: probably pretty shattered and you're just never going to be able to put it back together again Uh, uh allow me to quote beyonce in um when with her it's not video phone what's the other song that she did with lady gaga
0: um now i have video phones stuck in my head <laughs> um, and, Sorry. and video phone isn't even like the big one that she did with her. I know. Wait, hold Sorry, on. I cannot hear. It. I'm kind of mm-hmm. busy. Telephone. Telephone.
1: Yeah. Oh, phone is like just like the analog version. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Beyonce says trust is like a mirror. Once it's broken, you can put it back together, but you could still see that crack in that motherfucker's reflection. That's that's true, Beyonce. She's um, so right. She
0: has told me everything I need to know. Um, okay, so the third tip that I have for you is to increase all attachment behaviors. Guys, remember those four S's. Seen, safe, secure, and soothe. Knowing... That when your partner is in a vulnerable time, it is when it that is when it is the most important to bring those things out. When your partner is scared, Woo-hoo-hoo! when they're sick, when Man, they're lonely. Man, that's hard. Yeah, I know. Because
1: especially, we had this issue the other day where Caitlin was like, I, I was in like a needy spot. And every time she tried, so she was like putting in 125% effort. And I was still only giving her like 50% response rate. And so then she started feeling kind of wounded by that. And I was like, but babe, like, you know, the reason that you're doing extra is because I'm un- incapable of giving you a hundred. Like if I was capable of giving you a hundred, then we wouldn't, then you wouldn't need to do anything else, you know? Yeah. And so we just had this, this discussion and that, and that often when that person, they're, they're the, e- they're the least easy to love at the time when they need it the most.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. John's I completely agree. Same thing with kids. It's
1: true. Oh, that um, is so true with children. Love your children when they're annoying. Yeah.
0: All right. I got three more little tips. So the last one is that for anxious types, if you think that you're anxious, make sure you practice communicating your needs. Um, and then also make sure to see, seek trusted, um, and honest feedback, like from a therapist about any behaviors that your partner might find clingy or possessive. It's partner. It's possible that people might like say that and like they might be wrong but if your partner is say expressing that they think that you're too possessive that's why i'm saying seek feedback from maybe a therapist or somebody to check in and like reality check that on your behavior and see what's going on there um and then also practice becoming your own best friend increase your skills in self-validation and self-soothing um so that maybe you don't need to rely so much on your partner um for avoidant types increase your awareness of the strategies that you use for deactivating intimacy so like refusing to commit but dragging out relationships or focusing on small imperfections or pulling away when intimacy increases um focus more on mutual support over self-reliance and then i like the idea of keeping a gratitude list about your partner um and then the last thing that I had on this list is, and this is a good way to wrap it up, is to always be conscious of the of the responsibility of being an attachment figure, but be careful not to enable or become codependent.
1: Yeah, good. That is very yeah. good stuff. So that's it.
0: That's the that's that's it on attachment, y'all.
1: Yeah, I do have a, a quick, quick, a Q, quick cue for, yeah. for Kay. Um, <laughs> how does or how do you think that attachment changes? So we obviously get the bulk of it from our parents or from uh-huh. our, our um, childhoods. How does that change through relationships? Like are, do, can your attachment modes be impacted by re- early relationships by, um, partners?
0: Yes. So they can, of course. So we also, because my whole premise of this is that attachment is not just an emotional process. It's also like a physiological neurological process. So, what we know about the brain is that it is plastic. Are you familiar with the concept of neuroplasticity?
1: Oh yeah, growth mindset, growth. Yeah, oh
0: yeah, duh. So, what we know about the brain is that it continues to grow throughout all of our experiences, um, and we also know that um, there's this whole study of some. There's this whole like <laughs> um, field of study called epigenetics, which is the idea that we're born with a whole bunch of genes but not all of them are expressed and that the cer- the situations in our life can actually trigger the expression of certain genes so there are certain things that we never w- there are certain biological things that we experience that we never would have experienced if it wasn't for um our environments so in other mm-hmm. words which is all a long answer to say yes the science very much supports that relationships can change our attachment styles however Mm -hmm. it's also true Science also very much supports that
1: most of it comes from. er,
0: Well, that early attachment styles Mm -hmm. really influence our choice in future relationships, which will a real vicious cycle. Which tend to reinforce the early attach. So while again, while it is actually, it's actually um, one. It's one of those things that's very simple, but not easy to change Mm -hmm. our neuro, like our attachment styles, um, and and the neurology around that. um, It's also not so likely to happen just because we're we're likely to reinforce that. Um, I'm hoping that if anybody is listening to this podcast um, one of the things that can jolt us out of that is having good people in our life that can point things out to us and then again we have to become conscious to it and then we have to work on it and so when you have people guys consider this like your friends asking you calling you to pay attention to your your behaviors how it's related to your childhood and if you have issues change it you totally Mm -hmm. can your brain can totally change
1: trace those thoughts when you know (laughs) when i know i'm being unreasonable i need to like be take accountability for that and think about why where is this behavior come from because it's not coming from nowhere no it's it's not and sometimes we think like i'm just mad
0: no it's it's coming because there's our emotions tell us our emotions are messengers. I'm gonna like I'm reverting into like my psycho mode right now because I didn't get to do any groups today because all my patients didn't show up. So, <laughs> I, um, yeah, our relation or our emotions are messengers to us. They're telling us something. So when you're angry, almost always for me when I'm angry, almost always that's telling me that something has happened that isn't fair. And so and that's always you know sure that's okay. That's a call to action. But trace it so that you can understand what it is. It's not I'm not mad because so and so like. When I get road rage, it's not because I it's not because of like bad drivers. It's because I feel like it's unjust that some people can drive faster than others, you know?
1: Mhm. Oh yeah. And you know, Katie, that 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 concern with fairness and equality is also a huge indicator of giftedness.
0: Yeah, it Caitlin is. Katie has a lot of issues with road
1: rage too for the same reason. She's like, "Why can't people just take their turns?"
0: Yeah, yep.
1: So what are you recommending this week?
0: I am going to just go ahead and recommend – I talk about it all the time, but I'm going to go ahead and just recommend it – Orange Theory, which is the gym where I work out. It's one of those boutique fitness places, but it's actually pretty affordable compared to some of the other places like SoulCycle. Um, I love my gym. I've been going – it's officially been one year. I just got my happy anniversary email from them, and they're just – it's my happy place. I never in a million years thought that I would say that, but I just upped going from two times a week to four times a week, and I, like, it's just done wonders for my mental health, wonders for my body. The, um, Orange Theory is based on high-intensity interval training, and it's just fun. They pump music. I encourage everybody to look into it, and um, the first class is always free, so go take a free class in your area. It's my, cool. That's my recommendation. Yeah, I like
1: that. Yeah, yeah. That's a good healthy. You place t- you to go hear with. me talk about it every Think day. About your so, yep. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, but it's good stuff. Absolutely. Okay, what about I you? am recommending a series on Netflix. It's Australian and it's cute, but it's also dr- it's mostly a drama uh, with like it's a few elements of comedy. It's called Sisters, and uh-huh. it's, uh, the basis is that there's this um, man who was working at a fertility clinic and started supplementing the um, the sperm in his clinic with his own sperm. Oh my gosh! I heard about this! Yeah, wait, heard about the show? Well, I heard about something like this happening in real life. Oh, yeah. I I think I I don't know enough about it to speak on it. Okay, well, do go ahead. I remember the words of that. Um, That's being, like, somewhat of, like, a... When, a why are
0: men so weird? Why do men do the weirdest shit? Girl,
1: I don't know, but it's I... It's always say... men
0: that do the weird shit. <laughs>
1: yeah, and, you know, I don't think I would find this story tolerable, except that he's not really a part of it. It's very much character-driven. It's very much the... the people living in the aftermath of this and realizing that what what's um, <laughs> that the world is like potentially all of their siblings and yeah. so that this is it's just it's a very it's a very well-written show the um, Australian nature makes it cute and quirky in a way that I really like yeah so if you feel like it I, I downloaded a couple of episodes before we went on a long trip this summer and watched them on an airplane and um, I think it's a it's a good one for that. It's a good like watching on airplane show and good. think about the way we're all interconnected.
0: I love that. Oh gosh, yeah. I don't know. Nothing is good. I don't watch anything on an airplane except for the back of my eyelids because I'm girl. Wet. Yeah.
1: Um, where can they find us? You can find us at on Instagram at, at how do I spouse and you can email us at, at howtowyspouse at gmail.com. Um, and we are always interested in your, especially this, we now want, really want to know about your celebrations. What do you celebrate? Yeah. How do you celebrate it? Um, especially with your partner. Slide and into our DMs, Specifically, y'all. please slide into our DMs. And specifically your small holidays.
0: Yeah, let us know what you do so that I can steal from you and then be like a cuter wife yeah that's yeah. really
1: that's really the end game of this whole podcast
0: yeah well guys what is community for helping each other all be cuter spouses be
1: cuter spouses all right you're cute i, I love think you we uh, we did
0: it we spoused all
1: right love you too
0: bye bye